I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Michelle, better known as the nurse with the purple hair. She's a hospice nurse that teamed up with the director of Friday the 13th, and this unlikely pair created a small film to educate people about hospice care. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. First of all, I know you've been traveling and doing this whole push with the nurse with the purple hair and it's a film, but, um, tell me, tell me how did a horror filmmaker and a hospice nurse come together to educate people about end of life? Because we're talking, uh, about the director of Friday 13th that's in charge of this documentary, which is totally blows my mind. <laughs> well, there's a long and a short answer to that. Uh, so initially I'd like to say, um, God and the universe <laughs> made that happen. Because, uh, you know, I still think about the sequence of events that really had to unfold and sort of blend together in order to bring this opportunity to both of us. Um, So the long answer is I absolutely just love movies. I always have and the horror genre in particular. And I started uh, volunteering at different comic cons and things like that. And then I I was afforded the opportunity to begin to work with celebrities directly um, in an assistant type role when they have these public appearances. And so I had gone to Toronto to a con and I was partnered with Mr. Cunningham. And um, it turns out that when I met him, um, when he asked me what I did for my day job and I explained that I was a hospice nurse, um, it was only just a brief moment before I realized that there was a very fresh loss in their family and that they had had the experience of utilizing hospice. And so that sort of opened this doorway for us to have some um, I guess, difficult conversations, you would say, or um, interesting conversations. And we discussed, you know, their experience. And he, you know, he had let me know about a time long before when he had u- utilized hospice services for his father. And we just talked about the comparison. And, um, and it sort of segued this pathway for me to share some stories and, um, you know, discuss how important it is and that there's so much misconception and misperceptions out there about what it is and what we do and what it really, you know, can offer people. And it became this big, scary monster, right? That just kind of hangs out in a corner and nobody goes near. Which he can relate to because he has scared the boo-hoo-ha out of me during my high school years in the 80s with all his little whatevers with scary movies because all the boyfriends took me to them and then it was like I couldn't sleep for days um my first r-rated rated movie I don't think it was his but children of the corn I I I hate I hate horror movies <laughs> I, I can't sleep but you really you love them I can't even begin to tell you why I just do I think there's something about a good scare and it was um you know it, it was so humbling for this project to become this beautiful marriage of both of our passions you know I I am eternally grateful, eternally grateful. But yes, I was also totally geeking out on the inside and I still do sometimes and I have no shame about that. (laughs) So when did you guys start talking about, hey, let's possibly do a film? I mean, I'm sure your geek out went to a whole new level when it came to that. Yes, my geek out went to almost faint and hit the floor. (laughs) Um, So he had reached out to me and, um, you know, 
asked me if I would assist him at a different convention. And, um, and of course I said, yes, I'd love to. And we got to talking when I was there and he said, you know, I just have to tell you that I really haven't stopped thinking about the conversations that we had. And, and I think you're right. I think that, you know, there is this huge misconception out there and that people really don't understand, you know, and they don't know about these services and Hey, let's face it. Everybody dies, right? There isn't one person who isn't going to die. And, and there's a huge education opportunity here. And it, it, um, you know, this really was a passion project for him. Um, and I am so grateful to have been able to be a part of it. And likewise, I mean, this was a passion project for me as well. I just love what I do and which is such a weird thing to say, right? I'm with people who are dying and to say, I love this, um, you know, is strange, but to have the opportunity to explain why I, I, there are no words that can, that can ever express how grateful I am to have had that opportunity. You know, I was at a, com- uh, a symposium in San Francisco recently, and I was beside a hospice nurse and someone come- came up to her and she's like, well, you guys are angels. And she goes, I think that's a misconception. I think if you feel like I don't get more than I give, then, then I can't mislead you because I receive so much. Um, and, and people drop their shoulders when they hear I work for hospice, but I kind of I, I stack them up and be like, look, that's not how it is. Um, I've learned so many life lessons from my experiences that I apply in my daily life. And I think that's where your passion comes from, too, is it's, it's teaching you how to live. Positively. I mean, I can't emphasize that enough. I feel exactly the same way. I mean, it is it's so incredibly rewarding. Um, you know, when people say, how do you do that? You know, it must be so depressing. I don't understand. And I say, actually, it's really awesome. I feel like I have been afforded the opportunity to meet some of the best people, you know, that I probably would never have normally crossed paths with in my every day. Right. And that might just be because of geography or, you know, religion or tradition or whatever. And I now have been put in this space to meet all of these people and have have been exposed to experience all of those things. And I have learned so much. And I truly believe that no matter what the situation, I can learn something from every person that I meet. And, and yes, you're absolutely right. It teaches you what not to take for granted and, and how to live. Right. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I have to ask, you know, because I'm a nonconformist. Um, I had a nose ring, um, in my (laughs) hospice (laughs) corporate world. Um, and I, and I have a streak of, of green in my hair right now. What is up with the purple hair? (laughs) So, um, again, long and short answer, right? So the short answer is purple has been my favorite color my entire life. And, um, you know, I think we all experiment with all different things right throughout life. And I always wanted to put it in my hair. So I gradually had started that. Um, and really, honestly, a patient inspired me. Um, I, you know, I certainly have learned not, again, not to take things for granted. And I mean, the simplest lesson is the biggest one, do what makes you happy, right? Do what makes you happy. And I had a patient who, um, said to me one time at the end of a visit, you know, you look good, honey, but you could use a little lipstick. And we chuckled about that. And I thought like, what I had, you know, and her family said that is her favorite thing. She goes nowhere without lipstick. And she thinks everybody should wear it because no matter how bad your day is, you put on a little lipstick, it just changes everything. And we, you know, we conversed about that. And she said, I bet you have a jewelry box full of earrings that you maybe save for a special occasion, or there's a bottle of perfume with some dust on it that you might wear when you go to that important dinner. And she said, you know, every dinner is an important dinner. Change those earrings every day. Put on that perfume all the time. What are you saving it for? You know, and then I thought, okay, what the hell? Purple hair. 
makes me happy. <laughs> so how long have you been wearing the purple hair? I have had the purple hair now for about um, five or six years at least. And the one thing that I can tell you that has been so amazing about it is that there isn't a day that I've since I've had it that I go anywhere, grocery store, airport, you know, work, wherever. Somebody says something to me every day. And I, I stopped to think one day, like, I'm not sure I remember that happening every day when I was a brunette, you know, <laughs> and I, don't, I don't know if it, if it just makes me look more approachable or if it just, you know, there's something about being a little bit different, right? And so if you feel a little bit different, one, there's nothing wrong with that. And two, it just, it just segues, it opens this door for conversation. And I love it. And I just, I end up talking to amazing people, you know, out of, out of nowhere. And it's beautiful. It, it changes everything. Well, and of course, you know, the film title is The Nurse with the Purple Hair. And some of your handles on social media is The Nurse with the Purple Hair. And, and so it's, it's sort of now really tattooed to you. I believe that you are the first hospice nurse that is working in hospice care that I have interviewed. And, and I always, you know, am intrigued with those at the bedside and going through major changes um, in hospice and the C-suites and our hospice organizations. And, and how do you maintain the focus on serving the patient and not get up or get called up into the regulatory, into all of this other stuff that is given hospices a run for their money right now? Sure. I mean, you know, I think um, being a clinician, you know, we walk this very fine line of serving the business and serving the people, um, you know, and and we have to satisfy both ends, you know. So, I mean, certainly, I mean, we wouldn't exist without all the regulatory things, you know, and they're very important. I mean, they're, you know, they I'm not even sure that I can put a handle on, you know, how impactful they are um, in, you know, even helping pave the way for making this a more acceptable type of care and extension of treatment. Because I think, you know, I think we need that push to change the verbiage, right? That's, I think, that's part of the biggest problem. The verbiage out there is either not spoken about or spoken about incorrectly, you know. Um, and so often we hear people say, you know, there was nothing more they could do. So they put her on hospice. So most people don't know you can't be put on hospice. It's an elected benefit. You choose that service that you deserve, that you've been paying into your whole life, right? It's something that you deserve. Um, and just as you can elect to be on it, you can elect to be off of it, which is something that most people don't know as well. Um, and so I really think that we need to change the way we're, the delivery of how we're approaching that subject. And it's not so much what you say, it's how you say it. And it's very much still a treatment. You know, I, I always like to say, in regardless of the disease process that you may be faced with, when when your body is changing and your your disease is advancing towards death, it really doesn't matter what disease it is. At some point, that becomes a multi-system organ failure issue. And in any other clinical setting, that is a clinical emergency. It is no less a clinical emergency in hospice care than it is anywhere else. But the goals of how we're going to treat that emergency is what is different. Oh, man, that is brilliantly said. That is brilliantly said. And and so how long have you been a hospice nurse? I have been doing hospice for 13 years. You can tell. You can tell. Uh, it, it rolls off your tongue as if you were born to speak the language. And I'm not talking med speak. I'm talking 
changing MedSpeak into language that people can understand it. So what is it like to take you from the bedside of these patients and fly to Denver for a movie pre- premiere by, you know, the your I guess your mentor or your, you know, crush or on horror films, you know, Sean. And, and what is that like? What, I mean, are you living in the Twilight Zone right now? There is certainly still an element of that. Yes, very much so. I, um, you know, I, again, I never s- stop pausing to be thankful for this and really try to just embrace the moments. And I, I cannot even begin to continue to express how much I absolutely just love meeting people and and being able to hear their stories and connect. It almost has um, a Wizard of Oz element of it to me, you know? Um, so that is my absolute all-time favorite movie. But I feel like, you know, each time I go to a new city and I go to one of these events, you know, there's the Nan M and there's an Uncle Henry and there's a Scarecrow. You know, these people become very familiar and it's just so beautiful how, you know, we get to connect. And yes, uh, it's it's definitely still very surreal because, you know, I'll, I'll go to one of those events and have this amazing weekend that's nonstop of education and, you know, um, showing the film and talking about these things. And then I, you know, I come back to Monday and I'm, you know, I'm just back to being a mom and being a nurse and having all the normal responsibilities like everybody else does. And, you know, just trying to stay focused on continuing to push forward, you know, and I think there are so many of us all over doing this in these little bundles and how profound it will be when we finally all meet together which is coming. It's coming. It is coming. And I think BJ Miller, I got a chance to see him uh, last week in, in San Francisco, but he, and I think he left an event that I was at to go see you. I said, I think I saw. He did. So I had a total, another total geek out moment. (laughs) (laughs) It was fantastic. Yes. I loved um, hearing him speak and which is so eloquent and um, just so on point. And it was so, so just inspiring to be able to talk death, dying and education with him. Um, I, I'm not even sure that I have the right words to express how excited I was. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, when we did the podcast together, um, I, I guess I could call him a friend and I'll definitely do that now. Um, we've hung out several times and he, he says that we're all a part of this drumbeat, this cadence, and we're all marching toward and one day our, our paths will cross on a more uh, con- consistent level. Um, but, you know, not to backtrack, but there, this misconception of what hospice or hospice is, um, I, I'd love for you as a seasoned hospice nurse to, what is that? And, and to kind of also ask the question is, why are people scared of it? Yeah, that's a really great question. And it is one that 100% exists still. So hospice in and of itself is a specialized type of care for people who are facing a life-limiting or a terminal illness. So um, part of the eligibility requirements are that two physicians have to diagnose you with an illness that they believe will could lead to your demise if it followed its natural course of progression within six months or less. Now, that does not mean that someone has to pass away in six months or less. And that right there and of itself is is often very misinterpreted. Um, And the difference in that type of care is that it's a team approach. So there is a specialized team of people that come in to help provide care in a holistic manner, meaning mind, body, spirit. So we provide medical care pain and symptom management, 
We're managing emotional, spiritual, psychological distress. We're offering support in all of those realms. And that includes physicians, nurses, social workers, chaplains, bereavement support, volunteer support. There's music therapy. There's art therapy. I mean, there are all of these supportive therapies that come together. And the care is very individualized. So it's based on what is best for you and your family. And the patient themselves is not the only one getting that support. The support is for the caregivers and the family because let's face it, as things change, their lives are changing too. And as these disease changes all along that journey, everyone, everyone is experiencing little losses all along the way. And they're, your family, your, your caregivers are no less affected by all of those little losses than the person experiencing themselves. And that's what makes this so different. And I think one of the other misconceptions is that hospice teams come into the home, sort of set up shop, take up a room, and they're there 100% of the time. And that is not true. So the center of care is given by the family or the caregiver. You're the primary person taking care of that person who is ill. And the team is behind you guiding how you're going to do that, teaching you how to do that along the way. So yes, of course, we are, you know, the team increases their visits depending on how the patient is doing and what the needs are at those specific times. But the majority of the care is delivered by the family. And you're always available 24 hours. If, if, if family, yeah, family, yeah, fam, holidays. I mean, these, you've got to, I, I always thought as I drove, because I was a, a VP of communication and outreach when I drove away, you know, whether it's four, five, six, or seven o'clock on a Friday, I always thought there is a nurse or a social worker or a chaplain or a volunteer or a medical director out there at the bedside that it is it is not an eight death is not eight to five Monday through Friday. And 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 sometimes I feel like other other kind of healthcare um entities, doctors offices, eight to five or whatever. And that's what I love about hospice is yes, you te- you're you're a huge educator on end of life within the home and how to take care of um the patient. But twenty-four hours a day if you need us there or that patient is in pain, we have on-call staff and we can walk you through the phone to help you, but it, we will dispatch a nurse on their way as we make sure that you're okay in that house. And thus, I think just knowing that calms a lot of people's nerves, that they're not alone. Absolutely. And I, I certainly, you know, push that all the time. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I let them know, please don't be afraid to call in the middle of the night. You're not waking anybody up. There is someone that is responsible to be there. There are multiple people, you know, like you said, there's someone who is available by phone. And depending on the situation, there is someone standing by to be dispatched to your home or wherever your home is. You know, so I want to be clear about that too. Home doesn't have to be a house. It can be, you know, patient, wherever home, wherever somebody calls home, which could be a managed care facility. It could be a skilled nursing facility. It can be, um, you know, wherever home. Homeless shelter. That's right. Wherever home is, that's where we'll go to you. Um, you know, I, I even encourage people, I said, you know, do me a favor. I, tonight, I want you to actually just call it like two, three in the morning, just to call and give it a try before you actually need it. Because I want you to see that it's okay to do that. I don't want you to feel like you're waking someone up and, you know, give it, just say, Hey, I was just calling a test to make sure that what they told me was actually true. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and the, and the nurse with the purple hair told me to do it. Oh, that's hilarious. 
but you know, there, there is, I mean, in, and not to really get off major subjects, but even this death with dignity, those people who have that medication, rarely do people take it. It's about having it. And to know something is there um, and someone is there um, to be there. And it's sort of, they still have somewhat control with some guidance. Hospice is just, I, I tell you, I bleed hospice. I cannot tell you how much I support um, hospice organizations because I hope to die in hospice. And I can say that proudly because I, I never want to see the inside of an acute setting. I don't want to die in the ICU knowing that there may be a chance that that might happen, but I'm going to do everything possible to, to have hospice that I'm in my bed with my German shepherd, if she's still alive. And my friends are laughing in the living room because they can't believe I've lived this long because of all the stuff I've been through in my life. (laughs) (laughs) And hearing the laughter, that's how I want to go out, you know, in my own bed with, with just no visiting hours and eating the crap I want Pringle chips, you know, I mean, I, and and having my bourbon if I want it and and those unique things, you know, there's so many things that hospice does. But what I love about hospice organizations is they really strive to be outside that medical model. They come in. Yes, they have all this interdisciplinary team, but really it's, hey, what matters most to you, patient? Um, and we're going to put your care around that. If it's being sitting up and having conversations as long as you can and your pain's under control, that's what we're going to do. If it's going fishing, then how can we make that possible? If not, then how can we bring the pond and the fish to you? I mean, that's, that is what hospice is. And, and yes, we have clinical teams, but I have seen clinical teams, um, the humanness, um, and how they provide what matters most to that patient. That's what I love about hospice. And I think this movie, it comes across very clearly and it touches on so many misconceptions of what hospice is not. So many people think the H word means you're dying. And I, I don't know, I've spent 17 years in hospice care and hospice had nothing to do with death. It had everything to do with living until that moment. That's right. And I think you said a couple of things that are really important. I mean, in particular, the word control, you know, to be able to, to be able to give someone back a piece of control over their life and how things are going at a time when everything else feels so incredibly out of control is such a gift. And to be able to be in that space and, and share that and help make that happen. There's no words for that, you know, and and I also think, you know, at this time when we're, we are putting the focus on quality and how do we make today the best possible day, right? And the very things that you said, what is most important to you? And, you know, I, I always remind everyone, you know, when someone gets to the point when they're at end of life care and having to face or, or just hear that, that the reality of that happening, you know, they're on a journey that they never asked to be on, that they certainly didn't think would end here. And everyone's emotions are 100% raw all of the time. And, um, excuse me, I lost my train of thought. Um, that was, you that, were talking that was about, good. You were talking about, you know, focusing on the things that are important to you. Oh, it, I find that it has been so long since anyone has addressed who you are as a person and not what's going on because you are not defined by your disease, you know, and that piece of 
of caring for someone or hospitalization or medicine tends to get lost in the shuffle of the numbers and the diagnoses and all of these things. And and I don't believe that we do it with intention, but the, the, the reality is it happens, right? I mean, you know, the focus is how do we make this disease better? How do we fix this? And we get we get lost in fixing the disease and not talking to the person, you know? And so let's be clear, you are not defined by your disease. And yes, I mean, there is such a beauty in in getting back to what is important to you. And like you said, you know, I want to hear my friends laughing in the other room. Guess what? Hashtag, it's okay to laugh when someone's dying, you know? And most people don't know that. But the other thing I love to say to families, especially when someone's no longer able to communicate is, you know, that person has not changed who they are. So however you were with them, do not change that now because your relationship's not different and they're not different. Who they are at the core is not different. Their body has changed because their disease has taken that that control of, of that piece away from them. So if you came in and you guys always, you know, yelled at each other, don't stop now. You know, that's not going to, you know, who that you know them best. I'm just meeting them, you know, and I'm learning. And treat them normal. That's, I I think when people are, when people are on a limited timeline with a serious or advanced illness, the one thing is good friends teams seem to melt away because they don't know what to say. And, and I think that with hospice, the volunteers, you could start connecting with these new people that sort of treat you the same. Um, and no different than anyone else. And to me, that is such a a breath of fresh air. Um, you know, I remember a a patient and the, the wife saying, you can go get up and go in there and make your own sandwich. And I'm like, Oh my God, he's dying. But he, she, but to see him do that. And she whispers, I have to push him. I've always had to push him. And I was like, that so makes sense. Um, because that's their relationship. Right. Um, and it always has been, even though I'm like, oh my God, you're going to make a dying man make his own last sandwich. I was <laughs> like, what? But, and that's, that's where people misunderstand, um, hospice, you know, this fact, you know, thousands and millions and billions of dollars has gone into research that yes, we will all face end of life one day. No one's going to escape, um, you know, some of us die young, some of us die in their middle ages, some of us die from a chronic illness or a tragic event. Advanced care planning is really important. And I think your movie is really important to actually pull back the curtains a little bit on hospice. And actually, I remember in the film, you were sitting around a table. And I don't know if they were clinicians or just volunteers. But you had so I mean, it was dripping off you of how much you loved what you did. And, and everybody was just lapping it up and just was inspired by what you were saying. And I don't think inspiration and hospice, people think about those two things in the same sentence, but they so live in the same sentence almost every day. Absolutely. Yeah. So just for clarification, there was a group of nursing students um, oh, okay. And- <laughs> I, I couldn't remember if it was like volunteers or nurse, but they were nursing okay, students you were speaking absolutely. to. Yes, yes. Um, which I love to speak to because, you know, the educational piece, um, I think both for medical and, you know, nursing is, um, it's unfortunately very minimal. I mean, there is a, there is a piece, you know, there's content that you must have, but, uh, you know, that's, I'm so determined to help redesign, you know, bulking that up a bit, you know, and not just for them, but for, the lay community as well, because I really do think that we share 
the responsibility of how to find information, right? I think that, um, you know, one of the one of my main goals with this is to obviously increase awareness and understanding and even getting back to what you said about, you know, when you talked about people wanting to have like uh, the physician assisted suicide and things like that. That's a very slippery slope topic. But when you said the, you know, the underlying message is I need control, right? And so when you feel like you have control, there's less fear and less anxiety. And it doesn't necessarily relate to having to have the means to end life. You know, there are many different ways to help give back control and decrease fear and anxiety. Um, and I think those exist because it's not talked about enough, you know, and I really want to help encourage people to just ask more questions. You know, sometimes we don't ask because we just don't know that we can. It's really that simple. It's not this big, scary monster. And, you know, inspiring people to be brave enough to start conversations that matter, whether that's with their loved ones or their their primary care physician and vice versa, inspiring us as clinicians to initiate those conversations with our patients, you know, um, and just getting to the core of what's important to you. You know, what what is most important to you? Um, because I think, you know, as a clinician, we're given this big toolbox of things on how to fix or how to treat and, and, and how to help. But just because we have all these tools in our toolbox does not mean that we should use every tool in there, you know? And, and that's where we need to be a little more conscious about that. And, and again, under, ultimately empowering, empowering everyone to make more informed decisions because we really need to move towards normalizing advanced care planning. And this film, the whole idea is to introduce these topics in a non-threatening manner, predating advanced illness. You know, I mean, when you are dealing with a serious illness, whether it is in a crisis mode or it has been chronic and, and progressed, you're already oversaturated with information. You're, you know, things are changing by the minute. You're trying to process so much. And now, and now you're, you know, you're hearing these things in all different manners. But imagine if we could discuss these things predating illness to get our, our feelings and thoughts out on the table. And, and, you know, maybe you don't retain all of it, but the next time it's brought up, it's actually not as scary, you know, and it sounds a little more familiar. Well, and I'm, I, I'm cool with, hey, if you want to wait until you have children or in your mid-40s to do advanced care planning, that's cool. But do you know, I know so many people that have been taking, tragically, boom, no one is guaranteed tomorrow. And, and my thing is, gosh, wouldn't you want to have some say or provide some comfort or had had some conversations, even if you are 18 and you're living out of your parents' house, that, hey, if something would ever happen to me... I just wanted to let you know that I would love to be cremated. Even that slight conversation on the whim could help parents in the most difficult moment in their life, especially when they lose a child. But we, I have seen people, co-workers in hospice. I have seen young people face serious illnesses and then boom, someone's taken by a car accident or a tragedy of a blood clot. Boom, gone. And you're sitting there thinking that, man, I should not wait. This whole preparing for the end, you don't know when that's coming. You don't know when it's coming when you are diagnosed with a chronic illness. Because let's all admit, heart, heart disease is a chronic illness. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> you know, those things can happen all the time. And I think that, that this film sort of helps open the door to this normalized conversation. So tell me what are your goals 
with this film and and what is Sean meeting you at all of these different places to promote this film and and how are you managing work uh promotional and um you know meeting Sean with all these members first of all you know I I I was in the marketing and communications department all my years with hospice organization a hospice organization you are my dream nurse <laughs> you, Thank you if a nurse came to me saying look I, someone wants to do a documentary on me, I'd be like, I, I don't know what I would do because that to me, how is your, and another question on like four or five questions is like, how's your <laughs> hospice responding to this? So first of all, going back to the original question is, you know, how do you balance all of this? Yeah. So um, I'm not sure I have a great answer. I think I'm learning as I go, to be quite honest, because this is all so new and it just sort of, you know, it sort of manifested itself and it's, um, you know, it's, it's exciting to watch it sort of grow and take on a life of its own and find its place in the world. And I think as that happens, I'm doing just the same, you know, with it. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm planning strategically <laughs> as best I can. Um but yes, so Sean and I certainly try to collaborate um, at as many events as we can make possible, um, which has been fantastic. Um, you know, and there there have been events that I have attended myself, um, you know, screenings and discussion panels. And I've shared with, you know, this um, discussion piece with other clinicians, which has been great because I'm only one discipline, you know, and, I, and, and again, it's this team approach. So I love that everybody has to be represented at the table, you know. Um, because as much as I have had experience with all of those partnerships, I know my specialty and I know what's not my specialty, you know, and that's equally as important to recognize. Um, so I'm doing the best I can, but I, 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 (laughs) I, um, certainly don't want it to stop because I love speaking about this, you know, and to your, just to backtrack a little bit to your point about, you know, we never know when it's someone's last day. Um, for people who haven't seen the film, I mean, that was part of what brought me to hospice. And I, I think I've learned to believe that as much as I thought I chose hospice, I think each person that has chosen or has come to do that type of care or specialty, it chooses us. We don't choose it, you know, and I was an ICU nurse and I was living in Los Angeles and my father had a massive heart attack. And I know that I just believe that my whole life, like, you know, here's me, this tough ICU nurse working at Cedar sinai And I just thought I'm going to take care of my parents, right? Cause that's what you do. One day I'm going to take care of them. And I got to do absolutely nothing for my dad. And that was a really hard lesson for me. Um, you know, and not only did I get to do nothing, I, I will always have a different memory of that day than the rest of my family because we were on opposite coasts. Um, and so I had always had that interest, but, it really, it really became a healing journey for me, as I said in the film, because it became everything that I didn't get to do for my father. And I have since, you know, had the opportunity to care for other family members and loved ones. And um, there are no words to, to really say how important um, and humbling that has been and what an honor. It's really been an honor. Um, do you think your father would be surprised that his legacy is ending up in a film? <laughs> Let me tell you what my father would be surprised about. <laughs> because my father loved horror movies as well. So there are so many days that I think I cannot even imagine what he would say if he only knew that I <laughs> ended up not only in a film, 
discussing these beautiful issues, but with the master of horror, right? I mean, it's so, he would have been elated. He would just have been elated. I think that's awesome. So are you and Sean working on another project? Oh, um, at the moment, we're continuing to promote this and help it, you know, become, um, I guess, as much as it certainly can and touch as many people as it can. You know, we actually, in the beginning of this, we uh, talked together and we thought, like, we don't know where this is going to go. You know, we certainly hope it goes different places. But we decided, you know, if this only if this only touches two people, you know, we've we've made a difference and it has been it's worth it. It was all worth it. If it touches one person, it's worth it. Right. Because if we could just help yeah. one person have a different outcome, we've done good, you know. Um, so I think that's up to, again, divine intervention in the universe, <laughs> but yeah. I, I like to live by, uh, the motto from Alice in Wonderland when she says, I like to believe in six impossible things before breakfast. <laughs> and I think it's a <laughs> wonderful way to go about the day. <laughs> that's awesome. That is so awesome. So how do people, A, get, see the movie? How do they bring it to their local community? How do they get in touch with you or whoever to make a special event in their local community. Sure. So um, you could, anybody could certainly visit our website. It's www.thenursewiththepurplehair.com. And there's actually a tab on there to click for screening. And there's a link um, to be able to send information if you're interested in having a screening. Um, and we certainly have marketing personnel to help with that. And I can be available. Sean can be available depending on, you know, our schedules to assist with that as well. Um, the movie itself is available for, there's a link to download from the website. It's also on Amazon. So it can be found for download on, um, digital purchase on Amazon. And we're currently working to put a link on to order a DVD, um, which we do have. So, um, at the very minimum, click on that screening link, shoot us an email and we can certainly process DVD orders in the meantime until we get that link up. That's awesome. And to go back, you know, what is your hospice? What is the organization you work with on a daily basis? What are they thinking? What, 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 I mean, I'm sure you walk through the door and you're like having the daily issues of just working in hospice care. And, and, and here you are also the, now the nurse with the purple hair on a more national level. What are they thinking? Um, they're very excited, you know, so I, I, um, my title currently is a regional care transition nurse for Heartland Hospice. Um, oh, and so, I know Heartland. Oh, yes, that's, yeah. they're wonderful. So, yeah, so they're, everybody's very excited, you know, and I, I am certainly, um, poking at each of them to, you know, give me some feedback and participate in this. And, and I just want to put out to everybody, we would love for people to, uh, you know, write and share their stories with us on our social media outlets and, um, I would love to personally hear from, you know, anyone if they have a particular topic or question they'd like to see answered or discussion boards. Um, I can be emailed personally at uh, purplehairnurse at yahoo.com. And I would love to be more connected and interactive with interactive, excuse me, with anybody who, you know, wants to share some things with me or like to see me share some educational pieces. But yeah, they're excited. I mean, it, it's an I would be too. I would tell you if you worked at my hospice, I'd be like, call ahead. I'm going to get the red carpet for you so you can walk down it because you do not know what you are doing for your local hospice, first of all, um, because that's who you work for. That's where your heart is. That's where the story happened. Um, but nationally for hospice organizations, but we get caught up in this hospice is always hospice, but there are differences. And I, 
I if I was VP communication outreach, honey, I'd be like, here, walk down. We'll have a crowd and wave to you as you walk into the hospice office, because what you're doing for your local hospice is you're making them the expert on a national level. And that is the coolest thing because of your heart and your whole energy after working because you work today. I did work today. You were, you, you, <laughs> and here you are at eight o'clock in the evening, still gl- happy, glad, and still energy, passion dripping out of you talking about this topic. And I have to say, I applaud that organization who supports you doing stuff like this. And I know it might be crazy with scheduling and stuff, but what you've done is that you've made that local hospice that you work for really, really proud. Because now on a national level, they're seeing who, who they're seeing who they hire. And if that alone helps the awareness of your local hospice, but not and and decreases the fear of hospice nationally, what a gift, what a legacy. I I really, thank you. First of all, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be able to be talking about this still at eight o'clock at night, right? With anyone who will listen. So I'm, I'm, who has kids. And I mean, just, I'm sure those glass balls are like uh, getting ready to drop, but you're still just laughing. And I just so appreciate your time. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for inviting me. I, I am loving this every minute of it. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a group of us in North Carolina that, um, we, we are now in the brainstorming, um, phases of trying to do something like the Inwell conference in San Francisco, but do something a little bit different on the East coast. And I, I think that you're so close to North Carolina. Um, we've just got to learn how we can collaborate with you and how we can possibly show this movie and, and really embrace the humanness of, of what hospice is, because really the H stands for getting back in touch with human beings. I mean, in the humanness that we all have. That is right at the core of it. And I, you know, I say every time I speak, I just really love being with people. I really just love being with people. Right. And there's something just about being human, you know, in this whole thing. I mean, even when I, even when I sit and have these really difficult talks, you know, sometimes I start out by just saying like, this just really sucks, you know, and you would not believe the response because people go, Oh, you're right. You know, and it's the first time you just sort of let go of that somewhat of professional bubble and just be human. Like, let's face it, this sucks. You know, things are changing and you're allowed to be sad. and You're allowed to be angry. and You're allowed to have all these feelings because, you know, this is this is a challenge. And I, I, I so treasure those moments and being just invited into those spaces and then not only be invited into the space, but being permitted to stay. There are no words for that. Well, will you be my hospice nurse? <laughs> I would be honored if you ever needed me. <laughs> <laughs> well, one day, hopefully one day, but not, but you never know. But I, you, I just would, I, I just feel so much gratitude for all the families that you serve. I mean, to have someone walk in the door with your energy and with your purple hair to just, it, it's not depressing. And that's what hospice, it's not depressing. Yes, um, we're talking about death, but we're living while we are facing end of life. And I can't tell you after a long day being a nurse in hospice, how much I appreciate you taking the time and, and just talking with me. I'm so happy to know you, um, even though it, it via Skype, but I just... 
I'm so proud of you. And I'm so proud that Sean and you are collaborating and doing so much to give emphasis on what hospice is. And if there's anything that I can do to support you, this film, all you have to do is ask. And I just, I just think your hospice is very, very lucky to have you. Where are you going to be next with the film? Uh, so it looks like I'm going to be traveling to Sacramento, I believe sometime in February for another screening, um, which I'm looking forward to. And, you know, uh, things change by the day. So I'm just waiting for the next opportunity. <laughs> so anyone out there working in end of life or hospital or palliative care, um, you've got to get in touch with the, the nurse with the purple hair and get this film screened um, at your local community. And she'll come out and and answer questions and work with your team and um, and just actually put a little bit of humanity back into even taking care of ourselves um, because you obviously are taking care of yourself as you manage you know children job mom movie horror whatever <laughs> horror working with the horror master i mean it's just so many balls up in the air but um you are doing great work you're changing how people face end of life and i am honored to know you so thank you so much. much thank you it's been a pleasure thank you so much thanks for joining us today and remember you're the designer